Hello and welcome. This is the Bits vs. Byte podcast episode 17. Uh, today with me is uh, Paul de Rij. He is a technology lead at Kublu. Uh, welcome. Yeah, welcome. Thanks for uh, having me. Uh, could you tell me a little bit about your background and uh, how you got into tech? Oh, um, yeah, that's quite a funny story. Um, I think I was 13 and I went to a friend of mine and he um, his brother was working in Visual Basic and I found it really cool. So I tried to buy Visual Basic and by accident I bought Visual Studio C++. <laughs> um, and then I thought, well, yeah, then I just have to learn code. Um, so that's basically how I got started. I just started to do all kinds of things from home. Um, we're starting to do a lot of game development. I, I know somewhere on the internet there's still a source code of me uh, writing Pong. <laughs> um, and I also went involved with, with um, actually building websites. So more the PHP and the MySQL stuff. And um, that always was a thing of me while I was at, the, at school. Um, I did some other education and then after it I was not happy with my choices and then I went back to IT. So I'm uh, officially I, I studied as a sound engineer, um, uh, but I didn't like that I was away the whole day and the whole weekend. So then I decided, well, I need to go back to tech. That's where my heart is. Um, so yeah, started a company, did a lot of web development. And then uh, later on I said, well, I need more people around me. Sold my company and in the end I turned up at Kublu, uh, starting off as a developer. Okay, and what was the thing that draw you, that drew you to Kublu to to actually start there? Well, um, at that time they were not as well known as that they were now. So it's almost five years ago, um, and I just liked the whole vibe on how they presented themselves. So mm-hmm. at that time I never bought something at Kublu, um, but yeah, how they sold themselves and the, just the vibe that I got. Also after my first talk there, yeah, it was just a really good vibe. That so, oh, and this is something where. I can learn a lot where I can grow and where I feel very comfortable with. And um, for the people that don't know, I mean, Kublu is a big uh, e-commerce website in the Netherlands. Uh, but uh, could you explain what you try to provide as a, as a company? Yes, yeah, so as a, uh, basically what we want to achieve is getting the best product for a customer and making sure he gets it in a very nice way uh, delivered at home or to everywhere it's liking. And that's uh, um, mainly for electronic goods. Uh, we also have some some non-electronics like uh, trampolines. Um, and, and that's basically what we want to do. We want to provide you with the best product that, that suits your needs and uh, get it to you in a, in, a, in a way that you like it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's roughly it. Yeah, and uh, you mentioned the other things like uh, uh, other things than electronics. So, for example, trampolines. But um, uh, how do you make that selection? Because I know that the the basis of Google was also always kind of electronics. Uh, how how does that selection happen? Is that a, a seasonal thing, or how how do how does that work? Yeah, so there are a lot of smart colleagues of mine working at that to do, to find what kind of goods. I think um, that there are two main topics. Um, you know, it needs to be interesting for us to sell, of course, but we really need to make a difference for our customers. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in the end, we do everything for uh, a smile. So if we choose products, a product catalog, then we need to make a difference there. Otherwise, it, it, it doesn't matter. You know, then we can't fulfill our goals. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're we're really selective in in the product categories that we choose on the those categories. Okay. So uh, looking at the uh, the thing that Kublu does, uh, pretty innovative company in my opinion from what I can see from the outside. Um, 
So you also do a lot of things on the logistics side because that's uh, mainly actually the thing that you do is that uh, bringing uh, orders to people's homes. Um, what are some of the things that you were involved in on the website uh, that kind of facilitate those kind of innovations on the on the logistics side that you have? Um, yeah, so if I if I look at all the projects <laughs> that I have been involved with, um, I think there are a few that are really, really interesting. So one of the projects that I've done when I started at CoolBlue is what we now call CoolBlue as a shop, or basically it's what you see on coolblue.nl or coolblue.be. Um, the way how we built that product catalog in a very dynamic way with very, you know, performant as possible. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, that was the most interesting and the challenging project that I've done in Coolblue where we involved so many new technologies and so many new ways to extract data and make that visible in a very clean and, and fast performing manner. Um, so that's a very interesting project. If we look at the logistics part, um, I'm not too heavily involved, but what we're now doing with time slot uh, selection is, is really amazing because there's so many... Um, technical problems i think you had the chat with the cto of picnic and he mentioned the travel salesman uh, problem yeah exactly. yeah well that's exactly the same issue that we have if you want to optimize your route planning and that kind of stuff yeah that there are so many interesting things there yeah um and that's also where you figure out do you, can you be innovative via tech or maybe innovative somewhere in how you run your operation and um, that's always the balance that we have in Kublu. Uh yeah we can do a lot of tech but also in you know how you run things it's physically there's a lot of uh, opportunities there as well and that's also where you can find innovation yeah and the we had a chat before the the podcast as well about uh, what what kind of company you are actually, and that I, I can imagine that it's sometimes kind of confusing, right? Uh, because you do a lot of technology, but also a lot of logistics. So, uh, how would you describe it? Yeah. So, I, I it, in the end, it's just a, a, a multiple facet faceted company, right? So, yeah, we have the e-commerce. We make sure that on our website or via our app or if you come in our stores, we help you to find the best product. Um, and the other part is that we need to get it to you. And that could be just picking it and bringing it to our carriers or now that we have Google Bezorg, making sure that we can bring it to you. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just putting products in boxes and giving that to, for example, Postnel is a different kind of operation than, well, making sure you have your own buses running uh, uh, running around in Netherlands and, and making sure that you have your uh, per- um, personnel planning for that. Um, so yeah, in that t- sense, we're also a logistic company. You know, we have we have to do all those things besides the fulfillment and, um, and making sure you can see your products on the web. Yeah, what was the reasoning behind that whole... Uh because you work with a lot of carriers, of course. Uh, but what what was the reasoning behind doing it yourself? So um, mainly, if we look at the delivery of our white goods, that was done via partners, and uh, you know what we got out of the results of of customer um, satisfaction surveys was that you know people were unhappy. We you know there was no smile for a customer there. Um, so why was that? Um, I think a lot in in the time of planning. So uh, you order something in us and then you needed to get a call so that someone could plan to deliver and install a washing machine maybe in four days or five days later. So I think you see something there. Um, I think the quality of the delivery, it's it's like Peter said, it's a very intimate uh, process, right? Mm -hmm. You get two people that are completely unknown to you in your house delivering stuff. Um, They walk around in, in your in your personal space, right? Um, 
So we saw all kinds of optimizations and possibilities there. Uh, and that's basically why we started experimenting with our own um, in, uh, delivery service, uh, which is Coolblue Bezorgd. And yeah, people were so positive about it. And we were really happy about, you know, how we could satisfy the customer with that. They basically said, well, let's start scale this out and make this a, make this a bigger thing. Mm. Mm. And it's... Um you also have like bikes and stuff like that running around. Could you tell a little bit about that? Because uh, f- to me, it's not entirely clear wh- when those bikes are, uh, are are arriving at your home or at your company or whatever. Uh, could you tell a little bit about that, uh, the uh, the process and the, the thinking behind that? Yeah, so uh, Coolblue Fits uh, mainly comes out of a, a, an aspiration for sustainability, right? You, there's a way greener way that you can get packages to uh, to your customers. Mm-hmm. Um, and mainly in the areas where we already have depots like a store or maybe depots of Coolblue Bezorgd. Um, so basically what we're doing there is, is, is relatively small packages. Um, we can deliver them as well by bike in a, in a very good proposition, uh, in a way cleaner, uh, eco-friendlier way than, um, than that we can do with a van. And often this is in the big uh, big cities, right? For example, um, you know, Rotterdam, there are areas where you can't come with a van uh, in the afternoon, but people still want their package maybe in the afternoon. Mm. Uh, with a bike, you can get there. It, yeah. Um, and of course, you know, the, the uh, we really are are putting also uh, responsibility in in the in the sustainability uh, and the world that we live in, right? So the cool blue feeds really uh, suits with that, but also now our initiative to you know the entire um, roof of our warehouse is getting uh, uh, filled up with uh, solar uh, yeah. panels. Um, we really you know we really know our place in in the world as well, and we want to work on that. Yeah, that's cool. That's actually pretty good because uh, a lot of companies. Uh, they just think about okay how can we make more money and just uh just get more orders and stuff like that and it's uh, it's not always about that right no and for example um a few weeks ago i was part of uh, what we call kublu tech Friendjes, uh, mm-hmm. which is uh, an event organized by devops for kids and kublu in this case uh where we teach programming to kids from 10 to 14 so that they you know get a feel for what it is and they got really know, they cool. get in touch um and it was awesome to see how many uh, boys and girls were there just uh, with an interest in programming and these are also things that we find important to support and to yeah to to start get that vibe in in um yeah in the youth yeah and how cool would it be that you actually maybe see someone on the, that day and later on they uh, maybe come to work at at cool blue or uh, whatever other company or later on say okay uh, I got the inspiration to do this because I w- went to this kind of event or whatever. Yeah, and it's amazing to see, uh, especially, you know, I, I told, just told that I needed to work in C++ and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And there are so many cool uh, games now, how they can learn programming. So we've done Code Combat. Uh, we work with Sonic Pi to create your own music. There's so many interesting things to... Um, yeah, to make it fun as well. Yeah, to make it fun and to to show that you can really build cool stuff uh, with, with with code. Mm. Mm. And um, getting back to how you do uh, your daily business and what you do, um, could you tell a little bit about your role? So, what 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 does your role entail? Yeah, so my my, my role is basically in two parts. So, one, I'm um, I'm kind of a architect coach for our development teams. So how we are organized that we have roughly 27 development teams and they, they make their own choices. They're responsible for what they build. Um, but sometimes it's good to have a fresh eye perspective on, on the things that they are building or 
mm-hmm. how they look to design. So often that's where they ask me to help and just give my two cents on what they're building. And of course, as a company, we want a general direction as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's my job to align that. And I'm a sparring partner for uh, the board, for the domain bosses, let's say business unit managers, um, to help them understand what they want and how tech could help them with that or you know the roadmap that they have, how does it align with the skills that they have in teams. So kind of really more yeah, one-on-one conversation. Okay, what's your plan and how can we help the best? Mm. And um, you touched on it a little bit uh, with the amount of teams that you have. So how, how does that work? How are you organized to uh, deliver certain kinds of projects? Uh, how, how does it work? Do, do you have like, a, do you use things like things like uh, Agile and Scrum and stuff like that? How, how does it uh, all function within uh, CoolBlue? Yeah, so we are very agile company, and um, what I really like is also close to our company culture. So there are two cultural values that are really, you know, suit well with agile. That's just do it, and and um, you know, every day a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's agile. So that's what yeah. we've been doing. We're now doing that with agile, and so that really works, especially you know, the learning and the retrospectively part. Um, so that's that's how we organize in a process way. If you look at how the different kind of teams are organized, um, basically we have different parts of the customer journey uh, and put that in a kind of an own environment. So okay. for example, um, you know, all the stuff around uh, shipping a package and getting that, that to your door, that's a domain called shipping and delivery that has its own development team. It has its own operational leads. Um, and you can do that for many parts of the customer journey. Um, and Marvel, I'm just across all those different domains just to help where wherever is requested or just where I see, hey, maybe, you know, let's look at this differently. Um, have you thought about A, B, or C? Yeah, it's kind of a helicopter view of the whole... Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a kind of a, a multi-matrix uh, organization. Yeah, and uh, what I was thinking about is that uh, from those kind of teams, you al- already get a lot of ideas and uh, things that you w- would like to do and like to see. So uh, do you also experiment with things like... Uh, uh, validating some kinds of ideas b- b- through a b testing maybe canary leasing or, or, or stuff like that how, how how do you do that do you do that yeah definitely so uh, we run a lot of a b tests especially um in the website where you know i think if you go to your um to our website roughly 20 a b tests are live at every game moment moment okay. so we do a lot of a b tests because we want to learn very quickly um and also um we love the concept of dog footing so we have um, any given day maybe 100 to 150 customer service employees active uh, um, by giving them a very internal website uh, view of the website um, they can test a lot of functionalities for us Um, Hmm. there could be an interaction maybe you know we put something new on the search and we see if it's it's being used and if people you know don't give us feedback that it doesn't work Uh, but it could also be in performance or things like that so we release uh, most features first internally let it run for a day or maybe two just to get the learnings to see if it works if our infrastructure doesn't fall down um and if that works then we open it up for whole public and it could be you know from zero to 100 percent immediately or maybe we start by 10 and then we start from 20 or other steps it depends a bit on the feature sometimes now just go for it do it uh sometimes it's good to have the learning also to compare if you really made a difference or not yeah and what do you measure on in that sense Oh, it could be very different. Uh, so that's really based on the context, right? Sometimes it's just, um, you know, do we get more add to cart clicks or, you know, is it just simply 
converting better in the end to an order. Um, mm. it's, it really differs per experiment or per use case to, to see what you can test on. Yeah, and um, what uh, because you do all the software yourself, you kind of create all the things that you need to have for the website, you do that all in-house. Um, what what do you use for that? What kind of uh, techniques? What kind of uh, programming languages do you use in in uh, in your uh, case? Uh, what what uh, what do you use? Yeah, so if you if you look at the website, we're mainly using uh, PHP and Node.js. Mm-hmm. Um, some I think that there are still very good languages for the stuff that we need to do, and it's very good. Um, you know, there's a lot of people to find there. Um, so yeah, if you talk about languages, it's PHP, Node.js. Um, a lot of us, uh, if you look at navigating, runs on the Elasticsearch database because it, yeah, I, I mentioned Google uh, don't know earlier. That helps us tremendously in getting a dynamic um, category selection. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think yeah, that's a, one of the biggest drivers of our website. Yeah, yeah. And um, is there a particular reason why you chose those languages? Um, or is that something that came from a kind of legacy perspective? Yeah, sometimes from legacy. Um, sometimes because you know we see that there is very very good support in community. It makes our developers happy to use that. So there could be different kind of reasons. And and the one of the most important things that I'm I'm pushing on is that. Uh, you know, make sure that you have a kind of a flexible architecture by, you know, making sure your abstracts and your contexts are right. Uh, implementation should then be fairly simple to um, to replace. So if you look at PHP, uh, you know, we use all of the PSRs that are, or almost all of the PSRs that are out there because it's so much easier to change from package if necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives us a lot of flexibility to move in any way, any direction that we like. Yeah, and... Um do you also like use some kind of things like machine learning on uh, your website to do all kinds of stuff? I mean, a lot of websites use it for recommendations and uh, based on what you're looking at, you get the recommendation for something else. Uh, do you also use it for other things than, than that or... So we start to we are starting to experiment and to learn with it because mm-hmm. uh, yeah um, there is a lot of things that you that are required for a very good machine learning experience right yeah. so if you look at quality of data you know that's so important uh, we had our own challenges there to solve and now we get into the point that we say let's start experiment with machine learning and it could be by um, you know, looking how you can provide the best search experience for uh, for a visitor. Mm. Maybe if you know from you that you always buy something from Apple and it's always black, we yeah. might want to uh, boost something in our search algorithm there. Um, so we're so we're looking in ways that we could do that and how we could experiment with that. Um, and of course, in our own back office operations, there are things that we could do with machine learning. For example, um, you know, autom- automate prices. You kn- you know for certain kind of products what the given boundaries are in mm-hmm. terms of accepting a valid price. Why should someone physically need to accept it if we know that that price falls in that boundary? Even there, there's things that you could do with machine learning in terms of automating those processes. Yeah, b- yeah, because you have the data, right? I mean, uh, you have a data. I, I can expect that you have a lot of orders coming in uh, on a, every, any given day. Uh, so the data is there. So is it more that you needed to get it to that state that you wanted to be able to do uh, accurate, actually, actually accurate decisions based on the, that data? That, that's what, what you were referring to, right? Yeah, so the data has to be right, but also, you know, you 
you can do all kinds of things with machine learning, but it still has to be useful for the customer. Yeah. So yeah. if it doesn't help our goal to get the best product for the customer, then um, yeah, then what's the point of using it? Because then we're not aligning with our goals. So we're really looking, okay, you know, there's many opportunities for machine learning, but re- what really fits with you know the objectives that we have um and that's that's just learning that's experimenting that's just trying a lot of things and um yeah now we get into the stage that we have the opportunity to do that mm. and you are uh, as i said a, a big e-commerce site so i can imagine that uh, things like uptime are really important to you uh, of course uh, so what how, how do you kind of mitigate that problem of having downtime so we do different, uh, multiple things. Um, but I think to, for starters, uh, we accept that we sometimes are down because uh, we can put so many uh, prevention measures uh, in place. But the result will be that you won't be uh, very um, um, very functional or very. you don't release very often new functionality. So yeah. you're blocking your own progress. So there is a, always a balance for us to decide, okay, now we can... I c- I could accept and test the whole website, but if they take a day to release a new version, I'm losing agility mm. in, in trying new features. So uh, you have to really think about, okay, what's the balance that we have here? Um, and if you have that, then it, for us, the statement is, um, you know, fail fast and uh, recovery over perfection. So what we do, we try to be able to very rec- uh, to recover very quickly. And one of the key ingredients is observability. So we have amounts and, and, and numbers of dashboards um, that we just look at our own performance, not just on technical things, but also on functional things like, um, <coughs> sorry, how many people logged in or, uh, you know, how many people placed an order in the last five mm-hmm. minutes. So we can, if that fails, you know, alerts go off very quickly and then we can see how can we recover as quickly as possible. That also means that you have to think about your CI, CD pipelines. You know, how easy do do you make it for yourself to say, well, you know, this is an emergency, this this release has to go live without all the tests or out of all the things. Um, so we always balance that to figure out, okay, what can we do to, ma- if things go wrong, how can we make sure there's a new website or the working website again as soon as possible? Um, how do we know if it's failing? Um, and how, in the end, of course, how do we present failure? So how can we do better unit or more unit tests or other tests um and that's all things all pillars that we're actively working on and uh, because you you have to keep the uptime of course but how do you still uh kind of release new features and also do the a b testing and still keep that all in line and uh, uh and working do you like segment the things that you have in your infrastructure or how does that work no, um, so we don't do, um, we're not very strict in canary releasing. So basically, mm-hmm. um, if you look at um, the different things, we basically go live. Uh, so all the software mm-hmm. is the same, but we could logically make different decisions. So okay. like I said, you know, you are an internal user, so we show you more functionalities or we push you to a different search algorithm than an external user that we don't recognize in sense of, hey, he's a Kublu employee. So we make all kinds of logically segments uh, mm-hmm. or in that way segments. Yeah. Um, and the same goes for the A-B test. You know, our tool decides you're in a specific variant. So that means you're in that logical segment. But if you look at code, 
all the code is the same. There's no difference. We don't have a separate cluster for new yeah, versions yeah. or for old versions. That was what I was was thinking about. Is that do you do it like that, or do you just yeah do it logically yeah. by using uh, uh, what the user is or whatever? Um, so. Do you use things like containers and stuff like that to make it easier, or uh, is it still just normal code base and just uh, release it? What, what, how do you do that? Um, so yeah, we have automated, but um, we're not using for containers. We're a bit on the um, yeah researching and thinking about okay, how could containers help us? Yeah. yeah. Um, I'm also not quite sure of that. Uh, of course, it's you know we use it for local development and that works really great. But for production, it's just uh, yeah, bare instances that we upload with new code. And of course, that's fully automated and um, you know no one is SCPing or FTPing itself. <laughs> but you know it's just <laughs> let's it's just stage one. Well. Let's just stage one file on this server. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I've been there. <laughs> um, you know, so it's automated. Yeah, yeah. And um, what's kind of the 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 reason why you're still uh, um, why why you're not totally sold on the idea of uh, containers or actually using that in in production? Yeah, so personally, I just have many questions. Okay, uh, you know, what problem does it really solve for for me? You yep. know, me being of someone course. that you know needs to run an operation, and also the the environment that we have works really well. You know, we're just now basically. Uh, cloud instances uh, that we can scale, we can tune in a way that we want it, we have uh, a lot of control, um, and it's quite known uh, knowledge about how that works. Mm. Um, I remember back in the day that we started with Puppet three and a half years ago, um, you know, everyone had to learn how configuration management worked, what Puppet was, so, you know, even Ruby for uh, for some. Um, Working, knowing how an operating system works without, you know, knowing what containers are, is sometimes just way simpler. It's just easier to grasp mm. for people. So, unless I really, uh, if I don't see what problem it's solving, I'm not too invested to say, well, you know, let's switch just because it's new technology. It really needs to solve a problem for yeah, me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I can get that because that uh, it it does create some overhead if you if you think about it, uh, and maybe it doesn't give that that kind of flexibility that you have because what you said if you have a if, if you have a good pipeline and you have a uh, maybe i don't know if you use kind of images or something like that of of service that you already use uh, but it 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 wouldn't actually help that much right that's the that's the thing no, so if you look at you know our the the OSs of the instances, we've automated how these are configured, how they're patched. There's uh, a really good testing framework around it. It's um, you know patching a new instance is just an automated process. It just mm. automatically happens. All the rollout is, uh, things. Um, so there's lot there's not much for us to have a concern about. And yeah, then for me the question is okay, how is containers me helping to. Um, uh, you know, to change or to act differently. Um, and of course, many people now come to me and say, well, I know why, but <laughs> let's think about that. <laughs> what, what what are the things that they kind of, uh, what are the kind of things that they say that uh, they think will sway in the in the direction of doing containers? So, well, I, I can, you know, and that's definitely something that I see, right? So um, you, you could just outsource or, you know, use... Um, base images that someone else maintain, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, just have a good party and they make sure that, you know, your base image is, is patched and all the things are doing and, you know, it's kind of a hot swapping. Um, 
So yeah, I, I definitely see benefits in that. And I think in, in your deployment, it could ease some of the problems that we have. Uh, but yeah, then for me, it's the balance and the balance is not tipping over to, hey, let's, you know, let's fully invest into containers right now. Yeah, because you have to create all those Docker images and stuff like that as well. Uh, yeah. it, 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 it's not that different from actually cre- creating the containers for your service that you want to use. That's correct, right? Yeah. Um, no, definitely. So um, that, but I think it's more the whole ecosystem. Yeah. So it's also changed how you deploy. Uh, we need to think about a lot of uh, the the observability, the monitoring, the alerting, uh, a lot of things that we have to to overhaul again. Um, and there could be some interesting, but uh, yeah, for now we're good where we are and looking at all the challenges that we have i think uh, there's n- enough for us to do yeah because you mentioned the cloud so uh, i mean the cloud is a bit of a <laughs> it's a funny thing to say to, for me always but um uh, what do you use so what kind of um, what kind of stack are you running on at the moment in terms of the cloud providers that you use yeah, so we use two different uh, uh, public cloud providers. So mm-hmm. um, for data, Google just offers the best services that we have. Um, and uh, for the others, it's just Amazon. I think if so, one of the things that we find really key is automating. Um, you know, I don't want to do next, next finish ever again in my life. Um, <laughs> just script it. Which is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, if you look at the maturity of AWS, it's just, you know, it's, it's good there. Yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, that's basically why we chose AWS back in the days. Yeah, and uh, why? Uh, what do you use on on the Google side then? What kind of things are, in your opinion, better than on uh, the Amazon side? Uh, BigQuery. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely. Uh, uh, I don't know any other product than that that works in that way. Yeah, for your big data and stuff like that. Yeah. Right? So it's it's mainly for our data operations that we do a lot of that. Um, but I'll say if I look at the future with all the things that TensorFlow offered and, and yeah, it's I don't see AWS ca- catching up on that very quickly. Mm. And what what's always interesting to me in uh, when talking about Kublu is actually the kind of hybrid e-commerce that you do. So you still have a website, but you also have brick and mortar stores. So um, what, could you explain what that means for your job as well so w- how does how does that affect what you do uh, on a daily basis does it have an effect that's also a question of course but. well and i well this is exactly where i need to keep myself a bit sharp because it's very easy to forget about those stores right mm. it's easy i'm i'm in touch with the website or operations very you know daily basis if not hourly um but the web, uh, the the stores is something that e- is easy to forget. So that's one of the reasons why I regularly do my inter- do an internship at the stores just to reconnect on what's mm. going on there. Um, in terms of how it influences, yeah, it also means that we just not only have ordering via website, but we also have our own point of sale applications. Um, there are operations that we don't we can simply cannot support on uh, on the website, but we have to do for uh, our stores. So example in Belgium, people are paid with eco checks. Um, that there what are, are those eco checks. <laughs> so basically, that's a, a kind of a, a if I remember well, a part of your salary that you can use to buy eco friendly products. So, oh my god! <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, and it's a part of your salary, right? so oh, people okay. really get that. Um, but yeah, some get them digitally. Uh, but a lot of them just got paper vouchers. You can only do that in our stores, but it means that we have to su- to you know support that process. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah, sometimes you just simply have some interesting challenges because it's only a store process. Um, but I think it's it's 
it's fun and i think you will also see moving this closer together in the in the near future i do yeah i think the journey of a store will become closer or based on the same experience online with some additional things in the store yeah because what, I, what i've seen in the stores when when i visited is that a lot of the employees actually use the cool blue website to kind of find things and uh, for example if i'm uh, in the market for getting a new laptop or whatever uh, and i want some advice on that uh, the employee will actually use your website and that's that's what you meant also with the dog fooding thing right so actually using your own product to kind of find out okay this i'm 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 looking for a client but in, in that way i'm also thinking about what would it mean for me as a client, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, um, by using the product yourself, you, you can find out if you're happy with the changes that you made or if you're actually using it. Um, so yeah, you see a lot of things that, you know, if I buy my own product at Kublu, you know, sometimes I get surprised about the things that we have built just to check, okay, okay, this works really nice. And sometimes I think, well, why have we done this? <laughs> um, but, you know, do you, you, have do you go in in the, in the office the next morning and it's like, okay, why, why did we do this? Well, I ask around. That's, that's <laughs> the polite thing to do, right? But, yeah, yeah. Um, and it could be, you know, uh, I'm just one of the clients, right? So if a lot of customers gave feedback, you know, this simply works better, then, you know, uh, that's that's also fine. Um, but you you also have to rely on your own judge, judgment, right? Mm. And if, you n- if you're not using your own product, then, um, yeah, it's a bit hard to make a better product, I guess. Yeah, and uh, talking about the, the, I mean, websites are just one channel of, uh, of uh, selling things. So uh, what what kind of things do you see uh, playing up for you in the future uh, in terms of other channels like uh, voice and uh, stuff like that what, what, what do you see in the in those kind of um, areas well I think voice is going to be the, the major change for anyone in the, in the future right and not quite sure how it will relate to uh, you know to your actual shopping experience I mm-hmm. can imagine that there will be a point of time that you just actually say to you know Alexa uh, you know just show me three headphones that are interesting for me because I want to buy one. Um, but even, uh, I think, you know, quicker steps can be made in the very operational part. You know, I'm expecting a package. A package was the last status. Mm. Um, now, I think the way that you interact will be differently uh, with any partner. You're going to talk more to your phone, which is actually why we created phones, um, than just typing and looking at it. Yeah, and um, I think that... What what's interesting to me is that the the things that they do with the with the kind of uh, integration between just the voice assistant, but also the screens that they show the information on. Right, uh, currently it's just in most cases it's just one little screen that you have somewhere, and you're not always looking at it. That's that's the that's the thing. So what uh, where do you see that going in the future? I I think that it's probably interesting to uh, see, but maybe that's in the later future to see kind of uh, screens that just pop up right instead of uh, having it just on one nightstand or whatever what what do you think that that uh, where do you think that will go it's kind of a hard question because it's really in the in the future and well it will be interesting thing right and i'm I'm, personally i'm i'm wondering if the the technology that we create will be the boundaries or just our ethics that we have with technology, right? So I think it's the same with voice. Everyone sees opportunity, but if you say, well, hey, here's Google Home. It's now listening with you, everything which you're saying. Yeah, you can turn it off, but mm-hmm. you know, you can also enable it by 
voice from right so that's yeah, weird, yeah. right um, so it's still listening um, <laughs> it doesn't make sense but no, yeah it's, it's still it's listening a bit, you know there's you know do we all accept in the future that there is something that will always be listening to you mm-hmm. um, and wh- who's doing something with that information so I think the the ethics question will be way in more interesting in the future than what we can build with technology because I think technology we can you know we can't predict you know the time of the, 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 the no of the, course the yeah. Jetstones, uh, uh, um, of the Jetsons that will be you know that could be the the next future only you know what do we accept as a country mm. or a, as as society yeah wh- what what do you feel yourself about how do you feel how do you feel about that so we do have a smartphone in our pockets all the time which can also be used for that so uh, how do you how do you feel on that ethics question i mean it's it's a hard question to answer it's very personal of course but um uh, what do you feel do you think people will accept it or uh, Um, for me, I I, um, I listened to a talk of Aral Balkan. I think it's uh, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And well, actually, and I think Tim Berners-Lee is also now on this route. If you control the data yourself, it's a whole different ballgame than if the data is centralized and you don't know who's accessing it. Accessing it. So I, I personally believe that you know you you get your own personal data storage and uh, maybe even us as Cool Blue, you know, some kind of information we just get at you maybe uh, we only store orders for x amount of times and if we want to have more of the history you know we need to go to you to say hey mm. give me that history um, at least you know having more control of your own data and in a way that GDPR can't think of um, you know I think that will define on how usage of certain kind of technologies will grow mm. um, But yeah, and and I I, I believe what Aral said. He has some really nice presentation about it. Um, and I, yeah, from what I got, Tim Berners-Lee is now in the same route. Just centralize your own personal data. You have control of it. If you don't want people to read it, you can block the access, and you're done. Yeah, um, yeah. The the difficult part here is actually uh, that a lot of people wouldn't understand how to do that, right? It, the getting it to a, a phase that everybody can use it that's the that's the tricky part there i think right yeah so that's a nice social challenge and you know <laughs> i think a lot where we can do but i think also you see that the maturity of what you know about data collection how, pe- how businesses are using it or misusing it uh you know the general knowledge about that's getting stronger and maybe you know a bit more too opinionated or too um to 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 one-sided Um, but yeah, I think it, it it all has to grow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's good that there are rules for that. Uh, it's just uh, things like the GDPR are actually interesting because uh, it it has a it, the the idea behind it is good, right? I mean, it's it's good to know that uh, a lot of companies cannot do anything with your data anymore just by thinking, okay, we're gonna just gonna do this, right? That, yeah, that's, definitely. That, that's, that's good. But uh, the, on the other hand, uh, the, as you said, the privacy ethics and the things about uh, having things like that in your home, uh, it still scares people. It still scares me in some cases. I, I've used the, the Echo Dot for a while just to test out with it, and I don't have it on. <laughs> I mean, I, I just plug it out, out, of the, out of the wall socket. It's still, it's still kind of, uh, I don't know if it, Uh, it's it's still something that's really weird to people even though as i said they have their own smartphones and stuff like that, that that's that's the that's the thing 
Yeah, um, and you know, maybe we are old, and everyone under twenty is going to accept this. And <laughs> no, we don't have a, we don't have a say in the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think that I, that's also a thing. Uh, but uh, I mean, the people that are uh, that are older than us, for example, can also relate to that because they they went to a lot more things than just the the smartphone, right? Um, so uh, I would like to ask you just two questions more about. Uh, the future of e-commerce. I mean, it's a real broad, uh, broad thing. Uh, what do you think that will bring? Of course, we talked about the voice, but also other things. What, what do you think that that will be going to? Yeah. So, it, it, um, so like Peter uh, said in multiple interviews, right? Um, the e-commerce model of just you know a picture and a button. Um, that's you know that's that's not the interesting model uh, mm-hmm. anymore. So you, I think you need to choose different routes. And then what we're now with Coolblue are doing is just you know, providing a, you know a way way more services and really helping you to give a very good experience when you choose a package, yeah, uh, a product. Um, and I think that really works out well for us. You know, we're just a, a, a very um, in the end, a very solid partner that can help you in in the magnitudes of of, of challenges that you simply have with. Um, with a product like a washing machine, you know, it's mm. not just selecting a washing machine, but you know, you need to have it at home. Someone needs to take it to, uh, you know, to stay upstairs. Up. Yeah, um, all those things, right? Uh, I think b- by providing all the services, we, you know, you get you're not talking about e-commerce anymore. You're talking about you know really more full service. Uh, uh, yeah, you're kind of a partner in somebody's home. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and uh, you know, the aim is to be a very trustworthy party, of course. Um, but you know, I think you also see other examples that are more to a platform eco- economy. Um, there could also be a route that, that e-commerce companies are taking. I think yeah, everyone needs to make their own choice here. Um, what I see at Coolblue is that we, you know, we really want to be um, satisfying the customer with, from you know beginning to the end. Hmm. Yeah, and I can see that maybe things are. Um what I just thought about is that maybe things like uh, delivering things to people's homes is always uh, cumbersome because somebody's not home or whatever. So I think that uh, I talked to to Albert Hein uh, a little while ago, and they're actually doing kind of a, an experiment with smart locks. So w- when they want to bring your groceries, for example, they can just uh, they have like a smart doorbell and stuff like that, and then you can just say, okay, open the door or don't open the door, right? And that's even further away, of course, but I can see that becoming interesting for for you guys as well. Yeah, and I, you see parties experimenting, right? So uh, I think Amazon a year ago bought Ring, the mm-hmm. American doorbell yep. factory. Yep. Um, that's not just <laughs> nice products. <laughs> no, not, are, it's not for fun. <laughs> no, you know, so there are IDs there, and you see multiple experiments there. So um, yeah, definitely, you know. Uh, maybe things for us also to to have a look at. Yeah, it's uh, the the thing here is uh, that's what I mentioned in that podcast as well is that it has to be one platform, right? It has to be one uniform platform that everybody's going to use. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. You're not going to put three locks on your door. No, no, not enough doorbells <laughs> on the door. <laughs> <laughs> so um, uh, to wrap up, I, w- I would like to ask you the question that I always ask at the end: What are you most proud of? So I uh, yeah, I mentioned it in the beginning or somewhere uh, halfway. Um, so the cool blue platform behind it. Um, I'm really proud of that simply because we've learned so much and we've we've 
yeah, we took it to a whole different level. Uh, when we started a project, there was no CI/CD, there was no um, uh, no configuration management. We in that project, we've done all those things that are still very important for us nowadays. Um, but also, we've changed the entire mechanics of how the website works uh, in a way that gives us so many new possibilities and makes our lives so much easier. Um, yeah, it's really cool to see even after all those years what the impact is of the things that we've come up with there. Uh, although, you know, we've refactored and we've rebuilt uh, several things uh, again and again, uh, but the IDs are still alive and it's pretty cool uh, to be part of that. Very cool. I think that's a good uh, way to end the, end the podcast. Um, you can find uh, Coolblue on coolblue.nl and .be. I think it is. Yeah. Uh, and also a cool blue app. I think you have uh, yeah. the app that, that's... Uh, I'm actually using that one. Uh, iOS and Android. Yeah, iOS and Android. Cool. Um, for the listeners, you can find the Bits vs. Byte podcast on bitsvsbytes.com. Uh, we're on uh, all major uh, podcast platforms, uh, SoundCloud, uh, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, all those kind of things. Um, and also on social media, Twitter, uh, Instagram, and LinkedIn. It's all Bits vs. Bytes. Uh, I would like to thank you for listening and until next time.